The general subject of the elders' training conducted in Ethiopia five weeks ago was propagating the resurrected, ascended, all-inclusive Christ as the development of the kingdom of God. Propagating, that is to reproduce a person. In this case, propagating the resurrected Christ as the firstborn Son of God, the Son of God with both humanity and divinity. And this firstborn Son of God, Christ in resurrection, is for the propagation of himself. The very fact he's the firstborn indicates others have been born, others will be born. And this one who is resurrected is also the ascended Christ, the Lord of all, possessing all authority in heaven and on earth. And those who would participate in the propagation of Christ must know him in his ascension and must recognize his absolute authority over them and over everything and everyone related to them. This resurrected and ascended Christ is also the all-inclusive Christ. And we had a message along this line, or at least part of a message, pointing out various aspects of Christ revealed in Acts. So the burden that was released at that time, we brought to the Puget Sound area, and to convey it by selecting four of the messages that really embody the essence of this burden. So we began on the Friday evening with a message on being witnesses of this resurrected, ascended, and all-inclusive Christ. That is, persons who have a vision, experience, and enjoyment of the one whom they are testifying. Then we went on to see Saturday morning that we are propagating the resurrected Christ as the firstborn son. And we are doing this both in the power of his resurrection and also in the life of his resurrection a life which enters into death, passes through death, emerges from death, and is victorious over death. Then last night was a further development with a most wonderful message on the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is 
the all-inclusive life-giving spirit, but the term is emphasizing the Lord's humanity, his capacity to suffer, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And the spirit of Jesus now indwells our spirit, and it is according to the spirit of Jesus that we act to propagate the resurrected Christ. Now we come to God's goal concerning this. The kingdom of God. The development of the kingdom of God. So I'm repeating the general subject. Propagating the resurrected, ascended, all-inclusive Christ as the development of the kingdom. This indicates that the resurrected, ascended, all-inclusive Christ actually is the kingdom. So by propagating him as such a person, we are participating in the development of this person as the kingdom of God. To present this matter is not, an, is not simple. And to grasp it is not simple. So I feel to proceed this way. I believe the message will end by about 1130 And I'd like to take probably 40 minutes to present to you a panoramic view of the kingdom of God from eternity to eternity. So we have a broad view and an understanding of the two basic aspects of the kingdom of God. Then we eventually will focus on the book of Acts and the verses that we read. God, by nature, is eternal. The greatest mystery concerning him is that he is self-existing and ever-existing. He is the I Am. But he did not have a kingdom until he created the universe, till he created the earth, till he created the angels and human beings. The first aspect of the kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of God over the entire creation with his authority. And this matches uh, the common understanding of kingdom, which is not wrong because it's common, it's simply ordinary. A kingdom is a realm, a territory, filled with a certain number of people and ruled over by someone in authority, a queen, a czar, an emperor, a king. 
That's a kingdom. But I might as well mention now in anticipation. There's another aspect of, of kingdom, even in our human thought. When we speak of the plant kingdom, we are talking about the plant life in its totality. When we speak of the animal kingdom, the principle is the same. We're not talking about a realm that someone is ruling over. We're talking about a sphere with a certain kind of life that is active. So we may also speak of the human kingdom. So the two aspects of the kingdom of God are his objective rule over everything and everyone in the universe, whether those beings like it or not, recognize it or not, it doesn't change the fact. But it's also in God's heart to bring forth another kind of kingdom on the earth. And that is a kingdom in the realm of life. So let's consider this development. By the time the Lord Jesus came, there was human government on the earth necessary to maintain order. But also human government itself, according to Daniel's prophecies, is actually bestial in nature. I'm making a direct now and bold non-political statement. Our government exhibited by the events of even this year, is bestial in nature. It is becoming more and more inhuman in the way things are done. However, human government is necessary to maintain order so that the Lord is able to accomplish something on the earth. So the Lord Jesus was born under the Roman Empire. And somehow Herod got word that an infant was born who is the king, the king of the Jews. Herod also realized that among many of the Jews was a desire to overthrow the Roman Imperium, and to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And their expectation was that the Christ would come and do this. This is what they expected and what they're still expecting. So Herod, claiming, suddenly now he's getting pious, where is this king? Let, let me know that I may come and worship him. But his plan was to kill him. That was the Lord's reception by this age. Why? Because at a certain time in what we call the pre-Adamic age, 
the age in which there were beings on the earth with spirits, long, long before what's recorded in Genesis 1. A rebellion took place in the angelic sphere. And the highest angel, the archangel, with certain followers, rebelled against the authority of God and set up a rival kingdom, the satanic kingdom. And then this enemy, by injecting his evil nature into human beings, brought the nature of this kingdom to the earth. And then after, because of the fall, they were alienated from God. They had to form some kind of system in order to live. How will they get food? Their clothes? Where will they live? So this formed the world system, which includes everything on the earth that human beings need or love or want. And the entire system, according to First John chapter 5, is lying in the evil one. And the vast majority of the seven billion people on the earth are, spiritually speaking, anesthetized. They do not know that they're part of the satanic kingdom. But God sent his son to the earth to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And to initiate a process that will continue through the church age to bring forth a situation in which the resurrected, ascended, and all-inclusive Christ will come again to this earth. But he will not come as the only begotten son, as he did recorded in John. According to Hebrews 1.6, he will come as the firstborn, because he will come with an army of overcomers. Amen. He will manifest himself at Armageddon, to defeat the armies of Antichrist. Human government will be abolished. And the kingdom of God will fill the whole earth. I'm standing here as a brother who believes that this is the truth. Amen. We do not know very much about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. We're only told what happened when he was 12. So for all those years, he lived in a large family. He had 
four brothers plus sisters, so that's at least seven of them. There may have been more. Joseph probably died rather early. The Lord worked as a carpenter. So there was just this inward development within him until he knew it was time to lay down his carpenter's tools and begin his public ministry. So he began after he was baptized by John the Baptist and anointed by the Spirit. And the Gospels record that the first thing he did was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Read Mark chapter 1. Read Matthew chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus telling people to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'm aware of um, a certain exceedingly well-known Bible teacher in California. He's got this tremendous reputation, well-earned. He's a real brother, a serious brother, a serious student of the scriptures. Soon affirmation and critique will need to mm, address a certain matter in his teaching. And he claims to be defending the gospel, fighting for the truth of the gospel. And he is doing this for half of the gospel, half of it. The gospel of grace. We'll come back to this. The gospel of grace is the word from God giving you the good news that the God-man Jesus took all of your sins on his body on the cross and died for your sins and died for you and suffered and died in your place that the righteous God could forgive and forget all of your sins and to give you eternal life. This is wonderful news. That's the gospel of grace. But where on earth today? Show me the book. Point me to the website. Where is the gospel of the kingdom? Announced as it was in the book of Acts. So the Lord Jesus began his ministry... By proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is a word from God telling people, you need to repent. You need to have a change in your mind, in your thinking. And you must be willing to return to the Lord and place yourself under the absolute authority of God. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Then the Lord called the apostles to train them and to send them forth. 
that in his ministry, he taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 concerning the reality of the kingdom. The reality. And it's very clear the reality is something inward. Being poor in spirit. Being pure in heart. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Serving God and not money. The Lord made it very clear. You cannot serve two masters. No one can serve God and mammon. But there are people in the Lord's recovery actually trying to serve two masters. My heart aches for them. They give mixed messages to their own children. This is contrary to the Lord's teaching. Then in John, he presented to us another aspect of the gospel of the kingdom when he told an elderly man, you need to be born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, to enter into the kingdom of God, a realm of life. You see, in the plant kingdom, there are all kinds of plants that have the plant life. Same of the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. But in the kingdom of God, as a realm of life, only God had that life. But he wanted to expand his kingdom by imparting his life, the life of the kingdom, to all those who would believe into his Son, the Son of God. So the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, you need to believe into the Son, you will be raised up on the cross. Anyone who believes into the Son will have eternal life through regeneration. Then when he appeared before Pilate, a representative of the Roman Empire, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is John 18. The Lord said something like this. Is this your own idea or did someone tell you about this? And he said, I'm not a Jew. Then Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not part of this world system. It's in another realm. If my kingdom were of this world, my attendants would struggle so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. The Lord is indicating, I will establish my kingdom through death and resurrection. I will not resist you. So when the Lord was resurrected and became the life-giving spirit, then the situation in the New Testament took a drastic turn. 
There was an interval of 40 days prior to the Lord's ascension. And this is, to me, just incredible. It's amazing. The Lord Jesus was about to leave the earth and entrust the entire enterprise to a group of young apostles and maybe a hundred plus other believers, 120. This was his way. He knew he would ascend, enter into his heavenly ministry, and as the one on the throne with authority, he will work through all the believers who are one with him on earth, and they will carry out what he started to do. During that interval of 40 days, the Lord appeared again and again to the apostles. And we're told in Acts chapter 1 that he spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. This is significant. This is what was on his heart. This is what the responsibility of the apostles would be. You are to announce the gospel of the kingdom. You are to participate in the development of the kingdom. You are to establish churches that are the practical expression of the kingdom. And you must train by your teaching all the believers to know how to live a life in the kingdom and how to practice a church life that will fulfill this responsibility to bring in the kingdom. So we don't have a record of those conversations. I hope when we're all together at the wedding feast, we'll, we'll be able to say, Lord, what, what, what did you say during those 40 days? <laughs> then he ascended. And he said, go to Jerusalem. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high. So they prayed in one accord. They were, the Spirit was poured out upon them. And they began to, the development of the kingdom of God. Now I'd like to define how I'm using this word development. We could have used growth. We could have used the word increase. But development is something more than just an increase in size. When a little infant is born, and the little one develops, it doesn't just develop into a huge infant. The infant is only this big. Now the infant is six feet long. That would be grotesque development is growth to maturity that's what development is 
growth to maturity based on a continual increase. So here what, here's what is taking place in the New Testament. First, the resurrected Christ, who is the kingdom, must be propagated. The disciples were clear that the kingdom was actually Christ himself because they heard him say, as recorded in Luke 17, the following. He told the religious people who were questioning him, the kingdom of God does not come in a visible way. You cannot observe it. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's clearly referring to himself. And this is what we need to see. Yes, the kingdom is a realm where God rules. Yes, the kingdom is a realm of life that's developing. But the core truth is the kingdom is Christ himself. So here we need to see a distinction between the church as the dwelling place of God and the church as the kingdom of God. The church as the dwelling place of God or the house of God is the increase of Christ in life. So a family is increasing as more are born into the family. And those that are born grow. And God's household, the people, equals the house, the place. The kingdom of God is the increase of Christ in his administration. It's the increase of Christ in his government. And it is this one kind of increase that the enemy will do everything possible to stop. If he cannot prevent people from being regenerated, he will do everything he can to keep them from developing. And this is part of the battle of the two kingdoms that is recorded in Matthew 12. The Lord cast out a demon. The religious ones were getting more and more extreme in their rejection. So they said, you are casting out demons by Beelzebub the ruler of the demons. You are casting out demons by the satanic power. Then the Lord said, if this is happening, then Satan's kingdom is divided against itself. He refers to Satan's kingdom. Then he went on to say, 
If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here we see a direct battle of the two kingdoms. Then the Lord went on to say, and this is something that we need to absorb in our prayers if we want to have a prevailing proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. He talked about a strong man whose house was filled with all kinds of vessels. And the Lord said, you do not just go into the house and seize the vessels, signifying human beings. You must first bind the strong man. I realize this is not a training, this is a conference, but there's a training element. When was the last time, if there ever was a time, in which you participated in prayers to bind the strong man? You're going on the campus at UW, a dark blue, you know what I mean by that, environment and you want to contact the students I'm not criticizing I'm just pointing out something before we try to contact people before we try to reclaim a vessel we need to bind the strong man bind the God of this age who blinds the thoughts of the students. So now we are in Acts. And all that the Lord Jesus did in his earthly ministry, apart from redemption, only he can accomplish that, now must be carried out by the church. So he spoke to them about the kingdom for 40 days. I somewhat sympathize, or at least try to understand a little. The apostles were kind of slow in getting the point. Because one of them said, I don't know if he raised his hand, if he said, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still in this realm. Will you now throw off Caesar? The whole empire? Restore it to Israel? They wanted this drastic political change. They had to realize, oh, more than that will happen when the Lord comes back. I won't just remove the Roman Empire, I'll remove all human government. But that's not going to happen now. You need to be witnesses to me when the power of the Spirit comes upon you. You need to testify what you know of me, what you see of me, what you've heard. You're my direct witnesses. You ought to proclaim this gospel. 
You are to continue the war with the enemy. You are to teach the truth. You are to establish churches. The Lord told them at the end of Matthew, you disciple the nations. That's to place them under authority as learners and teach them all that I have commanded you. And this is what the believers and the apostles did. So, a dear brother who was serving in a practical way by assuring that the widows, especially from a certain ethnic group, were not neglected in the distribution of food because there was that kind of problem. So Philip was with the other six to serve in this way. But as he was serving, his function as an evangelist was developing. And when the persecution took place and the vast majority of believers were driven from Jerusalem, they went everywhere proclaiming the, the word of God. Philip went to Samaria and announced Jesus and the kingdom as the gospel and the whole city was affected. There was joy in the whole city. And the same thing with Paul. There's the verses that we read. And even at the very end of Acts, while he's in confinement, talking to anyone who would come to see him, he would speak to them the things concerning Jesus and the kingdom of God unhindered. And the book of Acts seemingly ends there. But the book of Acts is still taking place. So here's what needs to happen now in this age. We preach the complete gospel, the gospel of grace, and the gospel of the kingdom. No other believers on the earth have the standing to preach the gospel of the kingdom because the standing of all Christian groups is one of division. I'm not talking about the persons. I'm talking about the standing. If you are not in the kingdom of God and standing in the kingdom of God, you cannot proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. If you have been saved by grace and love the Lord Jesus because your sins are forgiven, you can preach that gospel in a wonderful way. But not the gospel of the kingdom. What are we going to do about Matthew 24, 14? The Lord Jesus himself said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations. And then the end will come. And we may think nations, these are countries with the government, but the Greek word ethnoi is referring to all ethnic groups. Every person, every kind of person on the earth, God cares about. 
all the ethnoi, wherever they are, whoever they are. God is no respecter of persons. This gospel of the kingdom must reach every ethnic group. Then the end will come. So when the gospel of the kingdom is released, along with the gospel of grace, the Spirit convicts us, gives us the ability to believe. We believe into the Lord Jesus. We receive eternal life. We are born again. And now we may enter into the kingdom, according to John 3. John chapter 3. We're born of water and the Spirit. We enter the kingdom. Now we're in the kingdom as a realm of life. And every regenerated person is now part of the kingdom of God. But where is the development? Where is the maturation? Where are those who can testify of what it's like to live in the reality of the kingdom? Who, apart from Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, can write a hymn like 942? I commend to you, not to read right now, but later, God's, God's kingdom on the earth is now his sovereign government within. The Lord is enthroned within our hearts. So there needs to be a development of the kingdom in the sense of the life of the kingdom growing in us, spreading in us, spreading into all of our inward parts. So it enters our mind and saturates our thinking our reasoning, our imagining, our memory. It saturates our emotion to touch any negative thing that's still there, that works the love of God, the compassion of God, the kindness of God into our being. Then it must reach our will, the last part of our soul to be gained, And this is crucial because the will of God in actuality is the kingdom of God. Where are the believers on the earth? Apart from the Lord's mercy on the saints in the Lord's recovery who can be alone with the Lord having face-to-face fellowship, and tell him, Lord, whatever your will is concerning me and anyone and anything related to me, do that. I'm agreeing with you. You taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth. Paul taught us concerning proving what the perfect will of God is. Lord, you warned us in Matthew 7 
But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens, but he who does the will of your Father who is in the heavens. And you pointed out that many who did this kind of work and that kind of work will be rejected by you, and you will say to them, depart from me, workers of lawlessness. One of the first verses the Lord showed me after I came into the Lord's recovery in 1966 was this verse from Matthew 7, because I was desperate to know what that meant. And by his mercy, although I was so young and really didn't know, virtually, didn't know hardly anything about God's economy, I settled it. I will not live by doing your permissive will. I will not be a lawless worker. Have mercy on me. And when we touch this matter of God's will, which is actually the kingdom in operation, because the kingdom is a realm where God can do whatever he wills. That's the kingdom. And that's why there needs to be a development because the kingdom life needs to develop within us until we can really tell him, Lord, whatever your will is. Because when God exercises his will according to his sovereignty, unexpected things happen. Sometimes heartbreaking things happen. Mysterious things happen. And the Lord's heart is full of feeling for us. We can cry out. He's not bothered. We can pour out our feeling. He's not troubled. We can ask the questions. The why question. But probably he will be silent and just continue. We are in the kingdom of God. Of God. Though in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11, we have a wonderful presentation of the development of the kingdom life all the way to agape love, the highest development. And this development will become your rich entrance into the kingdom. Just let the divine life grow in you unto maturity. Just talk with the Lord and say, Lord, I I just ask for normal growth in life unto maturity. Recently, I was preparing one of the outlines for the first part of our two-part training on numbers. And I was studying Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 10, that Israel's history is an example for us. And how many, because of their unbelief, fell in the wilderness. And Brotherly explains, what does it mean for us today to be like them who just died in the wilderness? 
And he said, that is to end your life in sins, to end your life defeated. That equals falling in the wilderness. As opposed to finishing your course with the sense of peace, of harmony with the Lord. You went through a process under the Lord's cherishing and shepherding to be brought to this point. And you can say with Paul, I finished the course. I kept the faith. I fought the good fight. Those who finish the course have a designation in the New Testament. They're called overcomers. But the development needs to take place in the churches in two main ways. Then it needs to take place through the churches in another way. We're nearing the end of this overall view. The church, according to Romans 14, 17, in context, is the kingdom of God today. The enter of the church life is really to enter into the kingdom life. But some dear saints are selective. They, want, they like the family life of the church. The kingdom life, they they don't care for that. And some try to have churches without that. Some of us co-workers had to address a situation in a certain place where the brothers there decided we will not have elders here. We're not going to have elders. We pointed out you have no right to make that decision. The New Testament requires elders in every church in every city. In other words, you want to have a church without government. You want to have a church that's not the kingdom. That's abnormal. The church is the family of God, the house of God. The church is the kingdom of God. Now the development of the kingdom in the church involves the building. Building, just as Nehemiah built the wall after Ezra and others built the house. We are building the kingdom by being built up. Just as when a child is growing, the body is being built up. And the the girl or the boy enters adolescence and certain functions begin to be manifested. So growth equals building. So as we are growing in the kingdom life, we should become more and more buildable in the church. Then the church must be trained to be an army engaging in the prayers of spiritual warfare. To bring in the kingdom. The Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come. The kingdom is not just going to come arbitrarily. We will bring it in. 
We will fight to open the way for it to come in. So recently in a prayer meeting in Anaheim, we're praying about the situation in this country, the recent elections. No political prayers, no prayers for this person, that person. We're not in that realm. But we are praying for the heavens to rule. We will bring the will of God to the earth. Your will be done in Washington, D.C. Your will be done in the Oval Office. Whomever you put there or allow to be there, that's your choice. We have a responsibility to pray the kingdom prayers. I just wonder, again, I'm not criticizing, how is the church in Portland praying? That is one of the most lawless cities in the United States. There should be prayers from the church there, from all the churches. We do not agree with this rampant lawlessness in this country. This country was raised up for your economy. Exercise your authority. Hundreds of churches praying for this. Fighting for this. And then through us, the gospel of the kingdom needs to be announced. I don't mean this in a formal way, like you go to work tomorrow and you're having a coffee break with a co-worker and you say, repent for the kingdom of God. (laughs) This is a matter of following the spirit of Jesus and the sense of life. But I ask a similar question to what I asked yesterday morning. Can you think of one human being that you know? A friend, a classmate from years ago, years ago, a member of your family. Can you think of one human being that you would like to see transferred out of the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of God. Isn't there one person that you work with, one person that you know, even one person in the media? I remember having the burden to pray for one newscaster. This had a feeling for him. Not too long after, he died. Lord, save him. This is a human being. Save him. Cause the enemy to suffer loss. I love this portion in Colossians 1 that matches Acts 26. God has delivered us out of the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So... If these lines of development take place inwardly, Christ as the kingdom life is growing little by little to maturity. Only God can cause growth. Being anxious about it won't help you grow. Being afraid of it not happening won't grow. Just simply say, Lord, cause me to grow in a normal way for the rest of my life. Forget the past. Start where you are. Grow in me in a normal way.
Lord, build up the church. That we would be the kingdom in reality. Then I believe the Lord will train us more and more, lift up our prayer meetings. To pray with authority, to pray the prayers of spiritual warfare. I was asked to share something last Tuesday concerning the burden for the Thanksgiving conference, then for the winter training, starting numbers. And I shared this. Numbers is about the formation of an army. And we will begin with this, with this word. The Lord, the Lord is releasing this word at this time because over the next period of time, he wants to form a spiritual army in the local church. Then the Lord knows the sequence. I'm not saying this for sure will be the sequence. Next summer, we have crystallization study of numbers part two. Then perhaps next winter, it's Deuteronomy. Then in the summer of 2020, it's Joshua. In Numbers, we have the formation of the army. In Joshua, we have the army at war. Is it too much to ask the Lord that in the next year and a half, he will form a kingdom army all over the recovery so that we, he can move with us. When the church has been built up, when enough saints have grown to maturity in the kingdom life, when the gospel of the kingdom has been sufficiently testified, then the Lord will decide, he would realize, my body is built up sufficiently now by the overcomers. I will now Change the world situation. Just like that. The Temple Mount will be cleared. Israel will make a covenant with the European leader. The Temple will be rebuilt. Just before that, the first roots will be raptured. The tribulation will start for three and a half years. So when the body is built, that means the bride is prepared. When the bride is prepared, the bridegroom comes for her in secret. Then three and a half years later, the Lord returns with his bride as the army, defeats the armies of the enemy. Then the army with Christ becomes the smiting stone that strikes the image to remove human government. And then the stone becomes a great mountain filling the whole earth all in a period of three and a half years. I don't know when the Lord is coming. I'm not going to follow those who speculate about a year, this and that. I'm not in that realm. My whole being is focused on this matter of the development. And while I have breath, and I'm getting stronger now, not weaker, I'm getting newer now, not older. I know what my chronological age is. I'm not ruled by that. We're ruled by the kingdom life. 
Caleb was at his peak when he was 85. And so we are ministering into this. We are praying about this. We are fighting for this. Because we want to see this age end. And turn to another age. Then that will be the manifestation of the kingdom of God on the earth. The overcomers will be distributed all over the earth as co-kings. But that's still in the old creation. At the end of that time, Satan will be released from the abyss. He'll continue to do his evil work. There'll be one last battle when he tries to attack Jerusalem. Then there's a new heaven and the new earth. Well, before that, we're in Revelation 20. All the dead unbelievers will be resurrected to be judged. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Then good news, the last enemy, death. Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Then there will be the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem as the eternal kingdom of God. Now this outline which I'll mainly read now, because I'm going to stay within the time limit I set, should help solidify the crucial points as as they relate to the book of Acts. The kingdom of God is the main subject of the apostles' preaching in Acts. That's the main subject. Why is it not the main subject today? The Lord needs a recovery of the main subject of the apostles' gospel preaching. This is indicated by the fact that the resurrected Christ and his appearing to the apostles through a period of 40 days spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. Then we have the subpoints developing this. In the gospels, the Lord Jesus himself had announced the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the Savior as the seed of life sown into his believers, God's chosen people, and developing into a realm over which God can rule as his kingdom and his divine life. So the seed has been sown in all of us. Let's all agree in one accord, to bind the enemy's strategy to stop the growth of this seed. We say, no, enemy. We pray for the normal growth of the kingdom seed in everyone in the Lord's recovery. To the entrance into the kingdom of God is regeneration. And the development of the kingdom is the believer's growth in the divine life. The kingdom of God is the church life today in which the faithful believers live. So more and more there needs to be the realization, a pleasant realization. We're living in the kingdom of God. The enemy put the thought, Oh, no, you're living under the iron fist of authority. Say, Satan, you're a liar. I am living in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. 
look at look at the room is filled with my, my, my beloved brothers and sisters. We're all sons of God. We're in an atmosphere full of love, life, and light. This is the kingdom of God. You're talking about your kingdom, you creep. I'm not, we're not in your kingdom anymore. We have been delivered from the authority of Satan. We are in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. It's the most joyful place in the universe. And then spontaneously, we come under the Lord's rule, the combination of love, life, and light just subdues us. He knows. He knows where we are, how strong we are, this and that. He knows. He's not shocked when we're like Jacob, wrestling against him all night. You know, we won't let any referee go one, two, three with us. No. He understands. He knew knew what he was doing when he came into you. So mainly, he's going to subdue you by love. By life. And by light, not a blazing light that blinds you, just a pleasant light. And the combination is, you're saying no, you're saying no, uh uh-uh, I don't agree, I don't like this, okay. The love, the life, the light keep coming. Then you just say, Lord Jesus, okay, I love you. I love you. And now the will of God reaches you with its peace with his resurrection life, with his assurance. No matter what the outward situation is, in the core of your being, you have a sense. I'm living in the reality of the kingdom of God. For eventually the kingdom of God will consummate in the new... Wait, no. Oh, three. That's a finished reading. It will develop into the coming kingdom as a reward to be inherited by the overcoming saints in the millennium. The overcoming saints are not super-Christians. They're just believers who allow the divine life to grow and who desire to do the will of God for God's glory. That's it. You don't have to be super. Just be an open vessel for the divine life to grow and choose God's will, whatever it is. If you can't do that because it's kind of scary right now, then you just tell him, I really can't give you a full amen right now. Okay, he's not surprised. He's not going to say, forget you. I'm looking for some real tough guys. He would say, you're just like everybody else. I'm not shocked. I'm still here. I still love you. I'm going to cherish you. I'm going to supply you. And then on your own, you're just going to say, I choose the will of God. Eventually, the kingdom of God will consummate in the new Jerusalem as the eternal kingdom of God, an eternal realm of the eternal blessing of God's eternal life, which all of God's redeemed will enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity All of God's redeemed will be there. But I don't want to miss the first day, do you? I don't want to miss the first day of the new Jerusalem. That is the long thousand-year day in the millennial kingdom. 
5, the kingdom of God is what the Savior announced as the gospel, the good news to those who were alienated from the life of God. The Lord's word in Luke 17, 20 to 21 indicates that the kingdom of God is not material, but spiritual. It is the Savior in his first coming. Then we go on. It is the Savior in his second coming. It is the Savior in the rapture of the overcoming believers. It is the Savior and his destroying of the Antichrist to recover the whole earth for his kingdom, for his reign there. He will recover Saudi Arabia. He will recover North Korea. He will recover Albania. Look, look what happened. Largely, I believe, in response to years of faithful prayers, you've got the Soviet Union. This no-God state, official atheism, all of these, what, 15 countries, part of the Soviet Union, then it just falls apart. It just falls apart. Because there were kingdom people on the earth praying about the Russian-speaking world, praying for the Lord's interests. And I believe the Lord gave them some very specific prayers. I, I asked, I wanted to learn from Brother Joel, I asked him, and he said, Lord, we, and I pray, praying, Lord, Lord, we ask the Lord, Lord, do you want this person to stay in power? Do you want this person there? Our feeling is he shouldn't stay. How do you feel? Then out he goes. <laughs> These are not prayers of political. You're not praying that Trump will leave because you hate him. You're not praying that he will stay because you like him. Not whether you hate or like. It's, it's a heaven's rule. I'm just looking forward to entering into this realm of prayer with you all. We are nobodies, but in a secret way, we are one with the Lord, controlling the whole situation in our prayer meetings. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Seven, the kingdom of God is the Savior himself, who was in the midst of the Pharisees, but who is now within the believers. The kingdom of God is in your spirit. Wherever the Savior is, there the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is with him. And he brings it to his disciples. I didn't know that's what happened to me in the summer of 1955. I didn't know. It took me years. I needed the help of Brother Lee to help me understand what happened to me when I was not quite 16. When I realized there's another person in me, there's something going on in me, I realized the kingdom came into me when I was 15. Don't you want the kingdom to come into hundreds of teenagers? Amen. Hundreds of teenagers. They're not too young. Lord, cause the kingdom to enter into. You're a teenager in, in a high school, public high school. Ask the Lord to bring the kingdom to all of your classmates, to everyone in your class. I believe he will bring the kingdom to many of them. Christ is the seed of the kingdom to be sown into God's chosen people to develop into God's ruling realm. 
So the Lord is not oppressing you, suppressing you from outside. He's establishing a realm within to rule you by the sense of life. You're about to say something, then why? Suddenly you had the sense, don't say that. That's the kingdom. And aren't you glad you didn't say it? Because haven't you learned what happens when you say certain things to your wife, right? Not only when you say certain things, it's the way you say them. Because wives are very keen on tone, right? On the way you say it. But on the other hand, when the Lord moves in you to say something, you're not afraid. You love her. She's the most important person in your life. So why don't you tell her? Dear, I'm just so thankful that you married me. I love you more now than ever before. I'm not writing a script for husbands, sisters, okay? I don't don't have a script on my website. Because that would be political. We're not being political because they're going to know you're being political, okay? (laughs) In other words, just let the Lord live in you. And it's so much sweeter for you and everybody around you, right? And here you are, you're a victim of a certain mood. And the mood is killing your joy. And it's robbing others of joy. Eventually, the Lord wants to touch your mood. You know, get out of the mood indigo. This is an old song from the 40s. This blue mood. If you won't do it for yourself, won't you let the Lord save you from your mood for those you love? You, you don't want to be carrying this dark cloud wherever you go. Here comes the mood. Here comes the sourpuss, right? But neither do we want to pretend to put on a smile. That's why I have a hard time whenever people want to take a photograph of me with some others. I feel there should only be kind of secret, candid shots where the smile is genuine. So I don't know, how do you smile like <laughs> Come on. I don't, I don't know how to, I'm learning how to smile in the kingdom. Okay. I just can't pose, so I don't know what to do. Since his resurrection, he has been within his believers. Hence, the kingdom of God is within the church in Seattle. The church in Shoreline. I hope, brothers, it's okay if I say this. I really hope that the kingdom of God will be in the church in Bothell before too long, huh? As well as some other places. Okay. H, in Acts 1-3, the Lord Jesus as the one in resurrection must have helped the disciples to have a proper realization concerning the kingdom of God. The disciples must have begun to see that the kingdom of God is the spreading of Christ as life in the believers. That it is the propagation of Christ as life in his believers to form a realm in which God rules in his life. The disciples certainly must have understood that they were now part of the propagation 
the spreading of Christ. And thereby were part of the kingdom of God. They, they realized what they were. And their heart was that untold numbers of human beings would become the same as they are. They were the reproduction of the resurrected Christ. They were a development of the kingdom of God. Just 120 of them in one accord. But as we all know, when Peter proclaimed the gospel under the power of the Spirit, 3,000 were added. Then I love the verse in chapter 5, verse 14. It says, believers, multitudes of believers, both men and women, were being added to the Lord. So whenever someone is regenerated and baptized into Christ and enters the church life, Christ is increasing. That means the kingdom is developing. Point two, key. The kingdom of God is the spreading of Christ as life into his believers to form a realm in which God rules in his life. To enter into this kingdom, people need to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel so that their sins may be forgiven and so that they may be regenerated by God to have the kingdom life. All the believers in Christ can share the kingdom in the church age for their enjoyment of God in his righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen: the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry to say that for many years, I just stopped at peace. This peace. But it goes on to say, joy in the Holy Spirit. It is the joy in the Holy Spirit that is the strongest indication that you are fully living in the kingdom of God. Because that's the nature of the kingdom. The Lord will say to the overcomers, according to Matthew 25, enter into the joy of your master. So you just imagine, I say this again, Maybe dozens of times I've used this illustration. It's always fresh. It always touches me. The last written word of Brother Nee in a letter or a note to a relative before he went to be with the Lord. I have kept my joy. I just can look at the environment he was in for 20 years. Chronically ill the whole time. When his wife died, he just pleaded for a few days' release to attend her funeral. Not allowed. What to enjoy? No organic food, no nice clothes. But he could say, I maintain my joy. Throughout these 20 years, in other words, in the midst of all of that, 
He lived in the reality of the kingdom. That is why I've come now to believe. Who are the deepest? Who are the deepest believers? Those who have the greatest depth in the Lord. Who are they? I used to think, well, they're the ones that are the most serious. They're just pondering all the time, the wretchedness of human existence and all of this. Now I'm fully persuaded the deepest believers are those who enjoy the Lord. In the midst of their situations. You know, I asked the question again, when Paul wrote Philippians, was he joyful or sour? Well, we might say he was joyful. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. He was. But when Epaphroditus was very ill, almost unto death, Paul said, you heard about him. He was ill unto death, but the Lord had mercy on him and on me also that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow, that I would be less sorrowful. I just want to bring in this thought because I'm no stranger to the sorrow side. But the mystery is, while we are suffering as humans, deeply in our soul, there's something deeper than our soul. That is our spirit, and deep, deep within. Christ is the reality of the kingdom, is there. And deep within, the process of resurrection life is operating. It begins to operate soon as death strikes. And deep within, inexplicably, there is peace, and eventually there is joy. So it's not a small thing to enjoy the Lord. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the first one is love. The second is joy. Will you allow, will you please allow the indwelling Spirit to bring forth the fruit of joy in your life? Will you please do this? I'm speaking to those that are in middle age and over, especially you had certain experiences where you have a certain temperament or a disposition. Sometimes I wonder, but not with criticism, out of love, I wonder about Sister X, Brother X. Will they ever be joyful? You just have the sense there's no joy at all. But that's not a criticism. The members of the body don't criticize each other. We just pray that the spirit will be able to flow in that dear one. No matter what the circumstances are. That she or he can say. Now. I'm in the realm of righteousness. Peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. I wrote a little song once. 
It should not make it into the supplement. It should not be recorded. I will now sing it in a non-existent key. It just came to me late one night. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. He is all things to me, and his spirit sets me free. Yes, the joy of the Lord is my strength. More joy. Okay, we go on. See under two. Five minutes, I'll be done. The kingdom of God will become the kingdom of Christ and of God for the overcoming believers to inherit and enjoy in the coming kingdom age so that they may reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's a reward. And we should simply ask him, Lord, give me the experiences that I need that will make me an overcomer to join you in the kingdom. D, as the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God will be an eternal blessing of God's eternal life for all God's redeemed to enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. I don't know where we'll be. I don't know what we'll be doing. But one thing I know is we're going to be happy forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) And I believe the joy will increase. Right? Three, the churches and the kingdom of God go together. The churches produced by the propagation of the resurrected Christ are the kingdom of God on earth today. The resurrected Christ, who is propagating himself in his ascension by the Spirit and through the disciples, is the reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his expansion. The churches are the expansion of Christ who came to sow himself as the seed of the kingdom of God. This is revealed in the Gospels. In the Gospels, Christ was the seed of the kingdom. In the book of Acts, we have the propagation of this seed to produce the churches as the kingdom of God. That's a very clear definition of our commission. In the book of Acts, We have the propagation of this seed to produce the churches as the kingdom of God. I believe the Lord living in you, he will guide you and he will train you how to sow seeds. The Lord covered me. I haven't had a regular job, so-called, for decades. But wherever I was, mainly as a teacher, for any period of time, someone got saved. Just by befriending them, by being Jesusly human with them, and sowing the seed of the kingdom into them. We can all do this, right? This is a body matter. B, we in the churches are the propagation of Christ and the expansion of Christ, and we are enlarging the kingdom of God. If the Lord wills, that Brother James and I can return about a year from now, I do believe the kingdom of God will be enlarged throughout the Northwest. I believe the Lord will put that in your heart. You will pray for this. 
many will be saved of all ages and all races and all social classes and churches will be established. The kingdom of God will be enlarged. Now we finish. Paul's proclaiming the kingdom of God in 2831 was the propagation of the resurrected, ascended, and all-inclusive Christ. This is proved by the words teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, which things go together with the kingdom of God. To teach concerning Christ is to spread the kingdom of God. Therefore, the kingdom of God is actually the propagation of the resurrected Christ, a process that continues to be carried out through the believers today. So please pray with someone for about a minute. We'll have 20 plus minutes for sharing. The brothers will direct how we will handle the sharing.